You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. If you would, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Joshua uh, chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be looking uh, at the entire chapter today, verses 1 through 24. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, prep you uh, by saying that this isn't a typical passage of Scripture that you'll often hear preached, uh, but that's actually why I'm excited uh, to preach it. Uh, you know, I, I love to preach texts in the Bible that are so often neglected. Uh, I, I don't think you really need me to preach a sermon about Jesus and the woman at the well. Uh, you've probably heard a dozen different pastors preach texts like that a dozen different times. Um, but I, I enjoy getting to go to passages like Joshua chapter 12 uh, that so often get overlooked. Uh, because texts like this are really just as much a part of God's word as any other parts of the Bible. Um, it was just as much written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, and therefore, is just as beneficial, uh, just as uh, you know, encouraging and can be just as equipping for us in the Christian faith. So with all of that said, let me pray for our time uh, and then read Joshua chapter 12. Uh, Father, um, we, we all just come uh, before you today, Father, again, just having a compl- all of us have had uh, completely different kinds of, of a week. Some of us are struggling this morning. I know some of us are tired. Some of us are anxious. Uh, but Father, we all trust that your word is good and, and that you have the power to speak to us today through your word. So, so we just pray that, that the words we hear would just be an encouragement to us uh, and will help us walk away with a better understanding of you and, and just a, a better love of, of you and what you have done for us. And um, we just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, So hear from the word of the Lord this morning, Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. Now, these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon with all of the Arabah eastward, Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Hashben, and ruled over Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and from the middle of the valley as far as the river Jabbok, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is, half of Gilead, and to the Arabah in the sea of Chenoweth, eastward, and in the direction of Beth Jazimoth, to the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, southward to the foot of the slopes of Pigsah, And Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Rephaim, who lived at Ashtaroth uh, and at Idra, and ruled over Mount Hermon uh, and Selach, and all of Bashan and the boundary of the Geshurites and the uh, Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the boundary of Sihon, king of Heshbon, Moses, the servant of the Lord and the people of Israel, defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. 
And these are the kings of the land from whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, and rises up to Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their allotments in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the Negeb, in the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of the Armuth, one. The king of Lekish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezir, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Horma, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Abdullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tepua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasharon, one. The king of Medan, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron Meron, one. The king of Akashpheth, one. The king of Tanakh, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jokneam, one. The king of Dor and Nephath Dor, one. The king of Goim in Galilee, one. The king of Terza, one. In all, 31 kings. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so again, I, I understand that for many of you, these verses are pretty obscure part of scripture. Uh, you're probably not as familiar with these verses as you would be uh, others. Uh, maybe even some of you, as you were turning to Joshua chapter 12, maybe you even had to dust off uh, those pages a little bit. It's been a while since you've read through those. Um, but and I, I do just want to, uh, as I say all of that, I do just want to promise you. Uh, in the next four weeks, uh, we are taking a break from the book of Joshua, and we're going to do another series. Uh, and the, the texts in that series will be uh, a little bit more familiar to you. Um, but as obscure as these verses may be, uh, believe it or not, I've actually uh, taught on these before. Uh, I haven't preached them here, uh, but I did do a series of devotions through parts of, uh, of Joshua uh, at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where I actually lived for a couple of years. Um, and I know, you know, right now, I, I may have kind of a, a homeless-looking beard going on, um, but I, I wasn't in that shelter because I was homeless. Um, rather, I was a live-in chaplain for a drug and alcohol recovery program uh, that they had there. Um, and for all of the guys living in that shelter... Uh, that we're going through this program. We had an evening chapel service every night before dinner. Uh, and the evening that I was on shift uh, and was you know, going to continue through this series in Joshua, and I was actually going to teach on this text, um, it turned out to be a, a very different kind of night for me. Uh, there was a local church. It was actually the largest church in the city, one of the largest churches in the country. Um, they called and asked if they could provide a meal for the guys. Uh, we said that that would be fine, and they decided to have a catering service come in uh, and provide all of these restaurant-quality steaks to the guys in our program. 
came with all kinds of expensive and fancy appetizers and desserts to go with it as well. Um, So I went downstairs to lead chapel. All of these guys are sitting at tables with real uh, tablecloths that had been brought in, uh, fancy silverware, all the napkins had been folded in, in fancy ways. Uh, there were all kinds of uh, food servers there, people from the church. Uh, there was even a local reporter that was present. Uh, the whole ordeal was, was a little bit unusual, uh, as I, I'm sure that they also thought it was a little bit unusual, the verses uh, that I was teaching on that night. Uh, but what I did is I used that opportunity just to, to talk about the, the benefits of taking time uh, to periodically reflect back on all that the Lord has done in your life, uh, just like Joshua does in this passage. And I basically just used the time as an opportunity to, to give a testimony about my own life and how the Lord had been at work and how he'd brought me to seminary and how he'd given me a fiance that I was getting ready to marry. And so I led this chapel devotional um, I ate some steak with the guys, went home, didn't, didn't think anything more about it until a few weeks later, uh, a friend of mine came up to me holding a newspaper uh, and he asked me if I'd read the article in the paper that was about me. Now, I had no idea that anyone would ever want to write a newspaper article about me. Um, no reporters had talked to me or called me from any newspaper about doing an article. Uh, so I was really confused. Uh, but I took the paper that my friend handed me, and, and I kid you not, I looked at the headlines, and the headlines read something along the lines of, homeless man becomes seminary student. <laughs> and I sat down and I read the article, and I realized that it was written by the reporter that came to that chapel service uh, that night that we had the stakes. And I read her article. Uh, I have to admit that I was actually pretty impressed with all the information she got right, um, especially since she never actually talked to me personally. Uh, She knew my name. Uh, She knew how to spell my last name correctly, which most people don't. Uh, All the quotes that she used in the article were actually verbatim things that I had said. She even did her research, and she knew that our particular homeless shelter uh, specialized in working with men overcoming addictions, uh, particularly with heroin in the Louisville metro area. Um, All of that information was true, but the thing that she forgot to do was talk to me. She, She forgot to ask me if I was someone actually going through the shelter's drug and alcohol recovery program, or if I was instead somebody who, you know, might have just been a chaplain who worked for the shelter. So it was a, a really well-written article about someone uh, who had struggled with heroin uh, and had been living out on the streets in Louisville and whose life suddenly was turned around and who was about to get married and was now a seminary student studying to be a pastor. It, it was a great story. Uh, It was the kind of story that would make a great movie, maybe on the Hallmark Channel. Uh, It just wasn't a true story. And the irony is that that text that I preached on was Joshua's way of writing down all that the Lord had done for him in his life so that there would be an accurate account of his life to tell the future. 
And here I was reading an untrue account of my own life that was now being preserved in a newspaper somewhere for anyone and everyone to read about as well. Uh, But even though that reporter failed to faithfully preserve this story that she was writing, uh, we can still be thankful for the Holy Spirit that he was faithful when he inspired Joshua to write this account. Uh, We have preserved for us an accurate account of all of the ways that the Lord was at work through the life of Joshua uh, and the Israelite army. And this list we have of conquered kings and all of these battles that they fought, uh, it's really a macro view summarizing all that the Lord has been up to from Joshua chapter 1 to Joshua chapter 11. Now, I think of this checklist that Joshua writes as it's kind of like the, the Lord's way of taking Joshua up in a hot air balloon Uh, So he can see the bigger scope of all that the Lord has been doing. Years and years of labor and toil and hard work all being summarized in this single list that we read. And I often wonder uh, what would would happen uh, in your own life if you did something similar. Maybe you're in a dark season of life right now where you feel like the Lord is distant. You feel like you are stuck down in a deep valley somewhere. But, but I wonder what would happen if you just made a simple checklist like Joshua did and thought back on all of those different battles that the Lord has fought for you and all of the ways that he has pulled you through other dark seasons in life. And I wonder what would happen if you counted all of those battles up. How many victories do do you think that that you would come to discover? Victories where the, the Lord allowed you to overcome this particular obstacle or those particular struggles with sin. I suspect that there would probably be a lot more victories than you at first realized. And that that's really the main idea of this passage The reality that when you look at at the whole of what the Lord has done, it it will always be greater than the sum of the the individual parts. When when you look at the whole of what the Lord has done and what he is doing, it will always, always be greater than the sum of all those individual pieces. You will always come to discover that the Lord has been at work and in far more ways than you have realized. So thinking about that, I want to focus on two truths in this text. Uh, the first is that you see uh, that when ev- everything that you accomplish, uh, it will always stand on the shoulders of those who came before. I want you to see that, that everything that you accomplish, it will always stand on the shoulders of those who came before. In other words, you don't actually ever accomplish anything on your own. Everything you do in life will simply build off of others who came before you. But then secondly, I also want you to come to understand that remembering everything the Lord has accomplished, it will give him the glory that he is due. 
That everything you accomplish will always stand on the shoulders of those who came before. And remember everything that the Lord has accomplished. It will give him the glory that he is due. So let's start with that first truth. That everything you accomplish will always stand on the shoulders of those who came before. That's what you see in the first six verses of this text. Uh, This chapter can really be broken down into two parts, the first six verses, um, and then verses 7 through 24. Um, And everything in the chapter, as I've said, is basically a recap or a summary of all the battles that have been fought by the Israelites. But these first six verses, they aren't a summary of battles uh, fought under the the leadership of Joshua, uh, but rather by Moses. If you remember the life of Moses, he, he never... Uh, was permitted to enter into the promised land himself uh, because of his sin. But he got to experience and and witness a glimpse of this conquest that Joshua would embark on. Uh, Moses defeated two kings in the land that was east of the Jordan. Uh, They're listed for us in verses uh, 2 and 4 here. Uh, There was Sihon, king of the Amorites, Uh, He's the one who refused to let Moses and the Israelites uh, pass through his land on the way to uh, the promised land. Uh, And then there was also Og, who was king of Bashan. Uh, He also tried to prevent the Israelites from entering into Cana. Um, And Moses uh, and and the Israelites, they fought against him and they took control over all of the the 60 uh, cities that he ruled over. And and if you read the account of that particular battle, uh, it's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 3. Of all of the random details that are included in this battle, interestingly enough, Um, you actually find a description of Og's bed. Uh, That's kind of an odd detail to include, uh, but apparently it was made of iron and is reported to have been 13 and a half feet long by six feet uh, wide. And and you might think that the only reason that you'd make a a bed this size would be to display uh, Og's wealth or maybe even allude to a very promiscuous, you know, way of of life, Uh, but that's actually not the case. Uh, We're told, even in this chapter, that Og was a remnant of the Rephaim, which the Bible regularly describes as a people uh, who were giant in their size and stature. So, So this guy was like Goliath before Goliath ever even existed. And so Moses was able to defeat these giants, And the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, they were able to settle down into their lands east of the Jordan, land that was just outside of the promised land, uh, but that was ideally suited for their livestock to graze on. So so what Moses got to witness was really just a a down payment that was being made on the inheritance that is the promised land. You know, he wasn't present in Cana for the rest of the conquest, uh, but he got to help make a down payment on their inheritance. Those initial battles, they helped strengthen and prepare uh, the Israelite army. It bolstered their confidence knowing 
that if the Lord could give them victory there, then he could continue to give them more victories as time went on. And so as Joshua recounts all of these kings that were defeated by Moses, it's an opportunity for him to give thanks to one of his primary mentors, because without Moses paving the way towards the promised land, Joshua would never have gotten as far as he did, both literally and figuratively. I mean, Joshua never would have been the leader that he became without the mentorship of Moses, and he quite literally would never have gotten his people across the banks of the Jordan without Moses' victories over Sihon and Og. So, So remember that everything you accomplish will always stand on the shoulders of those who came before. There's a a famous scientist, uh, Isaac Newton. That's what he once said about how he was able to to make so many advances in the field of physics in his day. He said, if I have seen further, it is by standing only on the shoulders of giants. If I've seen further, it is only by standing on the shoulders of giants. Without all of the giants that came before him, so he could stand on their shoulders, Newton wouldn't have been able to make the contributions to physics that he did. And sometimes we just need to be, we just need to stop and just be thankful for the giants in the faith that have come before us. If you want to reach higher, Uh, If you want to see further in your spiritual life, then you need those giants whose shoulders that you can stand on. I'll be the first to admit that I didn't become a pastor on my own. Uh, That road was a very long road that started all the way back with my grandmother, who was willing to drive me, uh, drive out of her way uh, to pick me up so I could go to church with her every Sunday morning. That road was paved with many older saints uh, that uh, were at the church that I attended who took regular opportunities to pray for me uh, and encourage me in the faith. Um, There are literally dozens of of college professors and seminary professors and uh, godly Christ-minded pastors that I can look to that have all mentored me along the way. So I I did not become a pastor on my own. So so remember to give thanks to all of those in your life who have pointed you closer in in your relationship to Jesus. Um, If you can remember the first person who shared the gospel with you or somebody who was instrumental in, in you coming to faith, maybe somebody who mentored you and discipled you after you came to faith, if they're still alive, Tell them thank you for what they did. And also remember to be that pair of shoulders for future generations to stand on as well. Regularly point those who are younger than you, point them to the gospel of Jesus, to his death, his burial, his resurrection. Regularly model for them what it looks like to pick up your cross and Follow after Jesus daily and and give those in younger generations every opportunity that you can so they might flourish 
and the ministries that the Lord has laid out for them. Because without sacrificial service of those who, who have come before, we will never be able to accomplish anything of lasting significance on our own. So that's the first truth, but there's also a second truth I want you to see in this text as well. We've seen that, that everything you accomplish uh, will always stand on the shoulders of those who came before, but I also want you to see that remembering everything that the Lord has accomplished will give him the glory he is due. Remembering everything that the Lord has accomplished will give him the glory that he is due. Uh, when you make lists like what Joshua did here of all of these battles that have been fought, um, all of these victories that have been won, that you begin to realize that none of these accomplishments were achieved on your own. But, but it also has the effect of turning your attention and your focus to the Lord so that he is given all of the glory and the honor that he is due for all of his accomplishments. Now, many of these battles that Joshua fought, uh, they never had, would have been won without the leadership of Moses. But none of these battles would have been won without the aid of the Lord. And as we think about this long list uh, that we have before us in Joshua chapter 12, I'm not going to go through and recount uh, every one of these battles for you. Uh, most of these we have already been studying in depth for many months. Uh, but, but I can just imagine Joshua, who uh, is probably old enough at this point that he was hobbling around on a cane, you know, I could just, I only picture him uh, scribbling down this list or, you know, maybe if he's old enough, maybe his eyesight's already gone. And so uh, he's got somebody else that he's dictating this list to. Uh, but I could just imagine that as these words get written down, I just picture Joshua reliving every one of these battles over again in his mind. I mean, Jericho where the Lord brought the walls crashing down to give his people a, 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 their first taste of victory. Joshua remembers that battle and he checks it off his list. One, the battle of Ai, the battle that they had to fight twice because of the sin of Achan. But once they dealt with that wickedness that was in their camp, then the Lord was faithful to give them that victory as well. Uh, and Joshua checks it off his list. One, the battle of Gibeon, where the Lord rained down hailstones and caused the sun to stand completely still over the, the site of that battle until it was over. And where Joshua triumphed victoriously over five separate armies at once. The king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. The king of Yarmouth won. The king of Lachish won. The king of Eglon won. All five of them, Joshua just checks off his list. On and on until Joshua gets all the way down to the king of Terzah. And we're told that in all there were 31 kings that had been defeated. And as Joshua looks over this list as it was all written down, I'm sure he saw more than just 31 individual battles. He saw a lifetime of the Lord's faithfulness. 
Because when you look at the whole of what God has done, it will always be so much greater than the sum of the individual pieces. These weren't just names or places on a map that Joshua was writing down. Each one of these victories was another jewel being placed in the Lord's crown of glory. And the end result of all of this was a jewel-encrusted treasure that, that could shine so much brighter and give God so much more glory than anyone ever could have imagined. And lists like this, that they help us today, uh, they help remind all of those who have submitted their lives to Christ that we too have become jewels in the Lord's crown of glory as well. When the Lord looks down upon us from his throne on high, he sees each and every one of us as a trophy of his grace. We are all a testament to the battles that he fought to bring our souls from death to life. He looks at that tired and struggling young mom who is trying to faithfully teach her kids more about Jesus. And he says, one, he looks to that man who is struggling with addictions or perennial problems with sin, and he sees how the Holy Spirit can work to overcome those struggles. And he says, one, he counts each and every one of these battles up in our lives, battles of lust or pride or greed. And every time the Holy Spirit gives us that victory, he tallies them all up saying one, one, one. Each of those is another jewel in his crown of glory. It's another trophy of grace that can be displayed on the shelf in his throne room. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives us a description of this. He describes uh, Christians as a triumphal procession uh, being led by Christ. This was something that was commonly done by victorious uh, military commanders throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, when they had defeated an enemy, they often celebrated uh, by having a parade. So they'd march through the streets of their hometowns and they would be followed by all of their spoils of war. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that we are the spoils of war that Jesus is showing off because of the victory that he won on the cross. We, we are all a part of Jesus's trophy collection showing off his marvelous grace. So whenever you come to an obscure passage in the Bible like what we've studied, I hope that you've now become a little bit more emboldened or encouraged to explore texts like this, verses that aren't often taught from the pulpits. I had a pastor tell me one time, if all you do is rake, all you're ever going to get is leaves. But if you're willing to dig, that sometimes you, you just might find diamonds. 
And that's what we get when we're willing to dig deep down into passages like this uh, that are often overlooked. There are valuable diamonds that are hidden in texts like this that, that I hope we, we've seen this morning. So for some of you, um, after you've studied this passage, this may be an encouragement for you to make a list like Joshua of what the Lord has done in your life. If you don't keep a, a diary or a journal, uh, maybe this is something that you might consider trying. Or if nothing else, maybe this passage will encourage you uh, just to take a long walk or an extended drive through the countryside. Use this as a time to reflect on the, the victories that the Lord has given you in life. Because doing so, it will not only make you thankful for what the Lord has done in the past, but it will also bolster your confidence in him uh, that, and what he will do for you in the future. Uh, even if you're struggling right now in a, a dark season of life uh, and, and you feel like you're in the midst of a battle, let me encourage you again just to take this opportunity to, to write down how the Lord has been faithful to you in the past so that you know that he will continue to be faithful fighting the battle that you are in right now. Because when you do so, and when you look at that whole of what God has done, especially at how he has given you new life through the shed blood of Jesus and how he's grown and matured you in your faith, uh, since that day, when you look to the whole of what God has done and what he is doing, it will always, always add up to be far greater than the sum of those individual pieces. Let me pray. Father, um, I'm just so thankful just for the example that we have of the life of Joshua. Uh, thank you for this, this life that we can look at and we can explore. Um, thank you for all of the ways that we can see your faithfulness through the story of his life. Um, and I pray that each and every one of us would just come to realize more and more uh, that you are just as faithful to us today uh, as you were to Joshua. Uh, you are still guiding and directing us today just as you did then. Um, you are still fighting for us today. You are doing battle, Father. You are directing us today just as you did then and achieving victory over our sins. Because you, Father, are a God who never changes. You are always good. You are always faithful. Uh, you always have our best interests at heart. So may we remember that today and in the days to come. I ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.